Hello and welcome to the final episode of this fifth series of the Future Wildlife Podcast. Thank you for joining me again and for the many messages I've received over the past week following my interview with Damien Hughes. We've had an incredible response to our chat, which was the perfect example of why I do this podcast, meeting smart people, learning new things and creating interesting content to share with you. Today, we examine the ways new technology will change how we manage our careers. My guest is Draw Gurevich, CEO of Velocity Career Labs and the Velocity Network Foundation. During our conversation, you'll hear Draw explain why he set these organizations up and how they'll shape what he calls the internet of careers. We started by discussing some macro trends affecting the way we work before diving into how blockchain technology enables a new method for people to own, share and manage their career credentials and the economic cost of the inefficient way they're currently checked. Along the way, we cover how crypto and Web3 relate to work and where the internet careers fits in. Draw also shares some fascinating data, illustrating why the concept of CVs is outdated. And for me, this is a huge problem that needs to be solved. Now, I've rarely been so excited about the opportunities I can envisage following a podcast conversation, and I'll share my thoughts about potential use cases with you over the coming weeks and months. But for now, I hope you've enjoyed this fifth series of the podcast. Thanks again to all the guests who have joined me and to listeners for your support. I really appreciate everybody who's left ratings for the show over the past few months. It really is valuable. And if I've got one ask today, it would be that you could share the podcast with one other person that you think would find it interesting. We'll be back in February 2022, and I already have some incredible guests lined up to share their thoughts on the future of work and life. But for now, let's jump into my conversation with Draw Gurevich. I hope you enjoy. So, Draw, thanks very much for joining me today. I wanted to start quite a broad question um, about the trends driving changes in the way we work. We've obviously all experienced this over the past 18 months in particular because of COVID, but it, it's accelerated a general trend which has been enabled by tech. I wonder how you think about these trends and how that's influenced the decisions you've made around the direction of your business. So, so first of all, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. And, and as you said, uh, these trends have been around for uh, quite a long time, maybe um, accelerated by COVID, but really um, the general trajectory was very clear even before. And, and, and I think that we have three major drivers here. First of all, um, the fourth industrial revolution hitting job markets in the past few years and will only escalate and accelerate in the next few years uh, where technology, uh, software and hardware are literally uh, creating a situation where hundreds of millions of individuals will find their jobs uh, redundant in the next uh, few years. So you would see um, um, AI and machine learning um, substitute for uh, human decision-making. You would see computer vision and robotics uh, substitute for, um, for, for labor. And that would create a huge wave where uh, hundreds of millions of people will need to switch occupational categories in the next uh, decade. So, so that that leaves a, you know that creates a huge burden on economies and societies uh, with the risk that we already see, by the way, across the globe 
of polarized societies, polarized economies, uh, political pressures, and so on and so forth. So that's that's uh, one major driver. Um, and we need to see how we can navigate this so that you know a, a large part of the population will be basically uh, left behind, feeling dis disenfranchised from their position and place within society. So that, that's that one driver that is a huge risk. The other is the skill shortage, right? Uh, recent research from Corn Ferry have basically scoped that uh, trend that we all feel with regards to skill shortage. Uh, and the number was $8.5 trillion in unrealized annual revenues um, that due to the fact that businesses are unable to execute um, on their strategy due to lack of talent and skills, right? And you might ask, look, you know, there's a lot of people out there, especially with fourth industrial revolution uh, displacing uh, uh, large uh, portions of the workforce. Why is, I mean, where's the shortage here? Well, the shortage is in skill because the industry is moving much faster in terms of the required skills and the demand for skills than, um, than the education system and people's and the workforce uh, historical experiences. So if you, if, if, if you have new skills emerging, there's no one to train for them, no one to educate for them, and there's no one that already experienced these type of challenges so could develop their skills on the job. So a huge skill shortage that will only um, going to escalate due to the fact that uh, everything accelerates. Um, and then last but not least, the rising contingent workforce that I'm bundling with the changing preferences of uh, the workforce with regards to how they want to work, the remote work, everything is bundled together. And, and indeed, that piece uh, has accelerated dramatically after COVID. And we now see even uh, phenomena like the great resignation that everybody's talking about, which is just um, the manifestation of, of, of something that was already boiling under um, the surface for a very long time. And that is people wanna change the nature of employment, the relationship with the employees and the organizations are changing the balance is changing and everything is interlinked, right? Because the, the skill shortage requires, uh, the skill shortage um, basically creates a situation where it's a talent market. In a talent market, it's easier for people to rethink their relationship with employers and so on and so forth. Uh, but if you ask me, these are the three trends that we see, three mega trends, right? That we see in the labor market today. All of which presumably informs the development from from your own point of view of your business, Velocity Career Labs, and also the Velocity Foundation. It'd be really interesting if you could explain what each of those are, what the connection is between the two, but also what differentiates them. So Velocity Career Labs is the instigator and developer of the Velocity Network. But since the Velocity Network uh, ecosystem is completely decentralized. The infrastructure is run and deployed 
by the participants of the network. Governance is completely decentralized and, and, and is basically driven by the participant of the network. So after we've developed Velocity Network Tech Stack, and build the uh, governing structure and the Velocity Network Foundation, which is a nonprofit governing the network. It's a membership organization that is the venue for all members and participants of the network. After we did that, then we have no privileges uh, or, or special position within the network. Um, so in order to really understand that, we would need to dive into what is Velocity Network exactly? What's the unique um, structure of the ecosystem? How, how is that Web3 very, very much uh, differs from the way we um, used to think about platforms and, and, and software? Um, but you know, just as a, as, as, as a preamble, I would say um, what I said. Well, let's let's dig into that then. You discuss some of those broad trends, but specifically, you know, the Velocity Network and the partners, the members of that network. What what problem or problems um, are we collectively looking to solve? So, so the way we see it, you know, financial capital and human capital being the most important. Uh, um, determinants of economic growth and prosperity of uh, societies, individuals, right? But while we see exciting developments, improving the efficiency and speed to deploy financial capital, human capital is left behind. Although now more than ever, especially with those mega trends um, accelerating and with the effects of COVID um, and, and the fourth industrial revolution and all these that are crushing job markets across the globe, we need to accelerate our ability to develop and deploy human capital on a global scale, right? But the reality is that although huge investment done in age attack in the last decades, huge investments, and, and, and both on the uh, funding side of innovation and blockchain and, and the valuations of um, tech providers in the employment and HR space, everything is is is, is basically a, a appreciating dramatically. But both, but 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 also the investment from employers and the market implementing these um, applications uh, with uh, with the average employer having nine different talent related applications, spending hundreds of dollars per employee per per year. Uh, and 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 this uh, uh, and, and this trajectory appreciates 20 30 percent every year. Although all this, nothing seems to move the needle um, um, for 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 the job market and create real change, right? And why is that? Because the root cause is the broken data transfer system or or, or the broken data layer underlying the labor market. Because effective and efficient development and deployment of human capital require free flow of trusted data on people's skills, education, and credentials, right? And employers are struggling with this because with all the amazing tech we now have in HR in the application layer, we still rely on self-reported records, resumes, and 
LinkedIn profiles and other, and other online profiles um, um, as the source for candidate and employee um, um, records, right? Mm -hmm. now, now, the fact that, that most, um, you know, roughly 80% of applicants admitting they lie on their resumes and misrepresent themselves on their resumes and online profiles, coupled with, with compliance issues, right? With more and more regulators adopting the negligent hiring doctrine that puts liability on the employer for harm their employees and contractors inflict on third parties, right? Unless they can show bulletproof vetting process. So these drive employers in the age of constant instantaneous connectivity to use manual weeks long processes to validate people's career data before they can make a decision, a talent decision. Now with 1 billion people that move jobs every year, right? Verifying they are who they say they are and that they hold the credentials, licenses, career uh, experiences, education that they say they, 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 they um, own adds unimaginable cost and friction to the labor market, right? Just, just imagine global commerce as an analogy where payments take three, four weeks to verify and reconcile manually. That sounds insane, right? Yeah. We're, we're so used to a situation where we see something, we pay, yeah. payment, payment is processed, everything is trusted. But the world of work, right, is decades in the past. This is the situation in the labor market. You have to wait five to five days to five weeks until an individual's credentials can be checked out. And it's useless to even, uh, you know, to even um, um, start calculating the cost and, and of this friction to the global economy and the lost opportunity for individuals, you know, and more than cost, by the way, that, 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 that friction and time lag, you know, is a huge impediment that prevents the true digital transformation of the employment space. Um, now for over um, a, a decade, the world of work is talking about remote talent sourcing and talent arbitrage and open talent market and elastic enterprises. And, and, and we see for a fact that nothing of this is really happening uh, you know, at the volume that will move the needle for job markets. And, and why is that? Be because there is no way to trust individuals' career identities uh, when they are self-reported. And there is no easy way to access trusted information about individuals. And that is the mother of all problems in the labor market. That broken utility layer, that broken data utility layer is that uh, one impediment, that, that one, one challenge that un until we solve, we will never see the true digital transformation of our space. And we're so used to this chronic pain, right? That it was generally accepted as inevitable, right? Tackling this fundamental challenge, you know, a trusted exchange of career-related information has been too monumental in scale for the industry to even contemplate. So until now, with the emergence of decentralized network, networks and, 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 and uh, blockchain technologies, solving this, right, is finally made possible. So, so this is what velocity uh, network and the um, trailblazing organizations that that are involved are looking to solve. Mm. Let's talk about those organizations. So I know you've got some you know, huge 
businesses involved in that, whether it be the likes of SAP and Oracle, Cornerstone. I'm interested whether all of them are contributing to solving a single use case, which is verification, for example, of someone's identity, their employment history, perhaps their educational certification. Or do they see this as kind of a starting point and that type of verifiable information is just the start of how we might use this to develop a better understanding about the workforce? So, so, so you know, that's a big question. Hmm. So, so, so Velocity Network essentially is a conduit, right? Uh, verifiable credentials, right, is, is, is a very bad name to, to what we're doing because these are not the actual credentials. These are the containers in which the issuer will put a, a, a data file, right, an information file, which is the actual credential saying, hey, you, this individual uh, worked at our organization and uh, this role from this month to this month doing this type of job and so on and so forth. That's the, that's the credential. Then they put it in a container, which is the verifiable credential. That container travels to the individual and only to the individual. And a key, a cryptographic key that is used to um, verify the verifiable credentials is stored on the Velocity Network high performance immutable blockchain. Mm -hmm. Now the individual has this container and can share the container uh, with the data on it, uh, with any relying party, a verifier, we call them. Once in possession of that container with information, they can open the container, read information, and they can verify the information has not been tampered with, uh, was not revoked at a later stage, because credentials can be also revoked for, in various um, uh, scenarios, and uh, that they can trust the issuer, identity. Why am I saying all this? Because into that container, you can put anything you want. Just anything you want, any type of data. We're currently supporting 25 different types of credentials from education to course completion, to recognition badges, to skill badges, to assessment results, to test results, to education, employment history, contingent uh, assignments, project you're involved in, so 25 different. And those 25 were basically defined by the, by the um, uh, Credential Standards Committee, right? because each such um, credential has to have a standardized syntax so that machines can read um, and create those uh, credential allowing for the interoperability that is part of the entire idea here. Hmm. My point is that this uh, uh, standards committee, right, that is part of the Velocity Network Foundation, is completely driven by the membership. And if the membership will decide that they need some additional type of credential, like performance results, or like whatever would be the case, right, that innovation right, will be, is embedded in the governance model, which is completely decentralized, and in the uh, open source nature of the, of, of, of the, of the network. Um, so it was a long answer to say, I don't know. And honestly, honestly, I don't even need to care. The, yeah. only, thing I, the only thing I care about now 
is creating a system that can um, um, that can react to these type of new emerging use cases and types of data, the network participation would like to be issuing and processing. Yeah. I ask it because, I mean, as we talk about it, my mind is ticking over thinking of all of the different use cases that could be applied to it when the individual holds that data themselves. Because certainly one other trend is the general pushback from many about the the data which is held by centralized organizations, you know, whether it's big tech platforms. And suddenly, you know, what suddenly this is unlocking in me is thinking, well, actually, all of those experiences, those that work I do within an organization, with you know, perhaps even things like feedback from colleagues, feedback from clients about the the type of work that you do. If you could capture that information, it's incredibly valuable to carry with you for the rest of your career. Because of course the existing model of a a CV on a Word document or PDF or even a LinkedIn page, it doesn't capture this living, breathing experience that we have at work. And I suppose what I'm really, you know, find exciting about this idea is that suddenly having the individual be in control of that data changes your incentives perhaps to capture that data from an individual point of view and want to share that with the future employers because you know perhaps that you know better recognizes your expertise and your experience and of course we're talking about people being able to monetize their skills better i feel to see a direct link there so i suppose my question was kind of getting to what are the possibilities for this and i think you've answered that you know essentially they're endless but they have to be approved by the governance board is that sort of a fair summary yeah definitely um so it has to be approved by the governance board but it could also be since it's an open source framework right then you can either go top down right approve it through the standards committee and then you know it's part of the ongoing roadmap of of the network but you can also have a grassroots um uh process where you just you know you know you just develop something plug it to the open source and then other people you know start using it and then it becomes you know then the network effects begins to build and there you go right so it was really important for us since we are aiming to build the internet of careers, right? An open public utility layer that will be that underlying layer, uh, the layer that underlies the entire job market. Um, so it was, it was really critical in terms of our design to have the most flexible design possible, right? Anything that uh, hinted centralized, uh, controlled uh, nature was immediately taken off the table. Yeah. Which is important, isn't it? Because we mentioned this being sort of part of the broader sort of Web3 picture, because of course, a lot of the engagement from people within Web3 as an idea is often that, you know, perhaps people should be sharing in the value creation of you know, the internet. And it's certainly, that's not true of Web2 necessarily. Yeah certainly not for many so i think that point about the grassroots is important because you know what you don't want to create is a a structure where innovation is only enabled by the people who are in control which in this case i guess right now typically are large businesses how do you see new partners joining this movement because 
you know the i look at i've looked at the list on on your website which i'll share in the show notes and it's a pretty impressive list and i think it accounts for a significant proportion of the working population of the world already yeah but about how you encourage new businesses to innovate in this area and how easy it would be for them to enter the ecosystem and join the partnership network what's the what's the process that's involved well, look it happens every month right every month you have one two three new global leader uh, leaders in, in, in their specific niche or space joining the network, right? Um, first of all, the, the network is completely open, right? Um, it's, not, it's not a closed uh, consortium. It's, it's, it's a permission network. And the permissioning is due to compliance reasons. On, you know, when compliance will allow for a fully public permissionless network, this is where Velocity Network will uh, migrate uh, to. Um, so the process is very simple, right? You apply for membership, right? We run our due diligence, making sure you're an organization in good standing and that there are no issues with, with, with the organization itself. Uh, and then boom, you're good to go. In terms of integration, you take the open source credential agent, which is a software appliance that you deploy next to your system of record. You run very simple API work from that uh, uh, credential gateway or credential agent to your system of record. And boom, your system of records is now ready to communicate with any individual holding a Velocity compatible wallet, which, which, you know, which will have many of those because nothing is ex exclusive here. So we already have two wallets out there and they're probably gonna be hundreds of wallets, right? Um, so you just, so your system record is ready to communicate with the blockchain, communicate with wallets, communicate on a peer-to-peer -peer basis with any entity on the network, that's it. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. The bar is ex extremely, extremely low. Yeah. How are employees encouraging people to start collecting this data? So, so we have big employers that communicating to their employees that from now on, right, they can communicate with them in terms of career, in terms of training, in terms of uh, license monitoring through a wallet, right? And, and that creates uh, one stream of adoption. We have big uh, background screening providers that, that once an individual completes their traditional screening process, traditional background screening process, that screening provider offers the individual to download a wallet and receive everything that was verified as verifiable portable uh, credentials so that mm -hmm. it's now, they can now repurpose that, that, uh, that the, the, the data that was already verified by the um, screening provider. Uh, we have existing identity wallets that are extending their functionality uh, to include um, career credentials next to basic ID credentials. In that uh, instance, uh, essentially, they just um, update the current um, user base, just updates their wallet and bang, they have now a Velocity compatible wallet. So there are many ways in which individuals will be um, exposed to this and will be encouraged and prompted 
to download a wallet of their choosing so that issuers can basically issue them uh, their uh, career credentials in a verifiable credential format. Universities will offer their students, uh, training providers and, and will, will offer their uh, students, license issuers, right? Uh, will offer their uh, constituency to start receiving their licenses in a verifiable credential format. And if they don't have um, a wallet yet, they will be you know, encouraged and prompted to download uh, such wallet. It's a very easy process. And, the, and, and in terms of friction, it's really very low friction to get on board the framework. Yeah. And the key point is just to reiterate that for somebody listening who, you know, their employer says, you know, download this wallet, when they move to another company, even if they're using different tech platforms within the business, it's likely because of the large, you know, the, the size of the partners involved, that it right. will be interoperable, as in it will, they'll be able to apply. They're not going to have to download another wallet with, a, you know, based from another company, Correct. other organization. Correct. That's really key, isn't it? Correct. And if they want, and if they, you know, after two years, they want to change the wallet because they found a better wallet with better functionality or better UI, they take their credentials to the new wallet. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, it's like migrating your photos from, you know, from one mobile device to another mobile device or from one service to another service. Nothing yeah. is proprietary. The it's, it's, it's fully self-sovereign and, and it's, fu it's fully owned by the individual. And the interoperability is embedded by design because, as you said, even the current uh, trailblazing group of organizations are 40 of the largest software, agile software providers and solution providers. Um, and they represent already 30% of the global labor market. And the bandwagon effect is already in motion. As I said, we have one, two, three uh, new vendors joining every month. And we'll only get, and we'll only escalate and, and accelerate. Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in the sort of the second order effects of this. You know, what what does it what does it open up once people are actually able to capture this data and it removes that friction in the the recruitment process? Um, it's really really interesting. Over what time horizon do you see these career wallets becoming the norm? You know, when when might somebody listening encounter this? What timelines the do you see your partners anticipating? Yeah, so, so, so people say network, right? And they say, you know, when will the network be? When will I meet the network? When will the network have enough critical mass so I can meet the network? But, but, but there is no such thing as, as a network. Network is, is basically a network of clusters, right? So you would have, and a cluster is basically in the job market, it's, it's basically, um, uh, uh, a geography meeting um, 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 an industry, or 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 or, or basically uh, a job vector, right? Um, so you you would see uh, clusters like nurses, doctors, truck drivers, teachers, bankers, right? Uh, in some geographies, where this these are all um, highly regulated professions that require certifications and require um, licenses and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and, in that, and in these um, clusters, I think that 
uh, you would see uh, critical mass uh, created in something like five years, not more. And then there are other uh, clusters where it will take more time, right? 10, 15 years, right? Um, but, I, 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 but, but the way we see it already is that, that, that these clusters uh, react to this in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of willingness to adopt and embrace this change um, in a very different pace. Well, uh, um, I really appreciate you sharing the thoughts of us today. I'm going to include links in the show notes to the Velocity Foundation's website. Um, there's also a couple of reports. Uh, well, there's a report you recently contributed to, um, which I'm going to include in there as well, which gives some really useful context about the possibilities that, that this creates with people. But one last thing. I mean, what are you most excited about in terms of the possibilities un it unlocks? You've mentioned a few of these, the mega trends. But is there something that you're personally excited about seeing Look, in general the, that rich verifiable self-sovereign career identity is the great transformer of the global labor market the one that we've all been waiting for for a very long time right it will radically change the way people navigate their careers and livelihoods and and, and at the same time how employers and organizations make town decisions, right? Healthcare workers and teachers will be deployed wherever they're needed without having to wait for weeks until their credentials check out. I was surprised to learn that 95% of truck drivers in the US move between trucking companies every year, wow. right? They all, they all have to wait until their credentials check out before they can start. Just imagine the impact of global supply chain right, of, you know, one week of idle time for, for every um, truck driver before they can start driving. But, but honestly, my favorite example um, is refugees, immigrants, and displaced population, right? And I've just posted um, in conjunction with the uh, Global uh, Climate Summit in Glasgow, I've, I've posted um, an article on the connection between verifiable credentials and, and, and the global climate crisis. And, you know, most experts say that we're on the verge of the age of, you know, a new age of, of, of mass migration, where uh, hundreds of millions of people will need to migrate due to changing uh, climate conditions um, in their uh, habitats and place of, of, of where they live. And, you know, these populations migrating are usually unable to verify their experience and skills from their countries of origin. Uh, so must settle for the lowest level of jobs, right? When they arrive to where they migrate to. Now with self-sovereign career identity, right? Uh, a, a, um, a proven, trusted, career portfolio that they can take and carry with them, their situation will be completely different, right? Now imagine the political pressure, the social pressure of hundreds of millions of people migrating to other countries, their ability to uh, be integrated into these economies, right? And find jobs and make a living, it's just critical. Right, and, and, and it's much broader than the context of just 
yeah. um, you know, the world of work. It's, it's about society in general. So mm. if you ask me, the fact that every individual will be able to take their career with them um, and, and, and those use cases are extremely, extremely um, inspiring to me. Yeah. Joel, that's fantastic. I'll also put a link to that article in the show notes. Um, thanks again for your time and I uh, look forward to speaking again. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And that was my conversation with Draw. I know some of the ideas in there are challenging, but you'll hopefully have got a sense of what possibilities the technology creates. And hopefully it's left you with plenty of food for thought as it did for me. Now, as I said at the top of the show, this is the last episode of the series. The new one will be back in February. And I've already got some incredible guests lined up to share their ideas about the future of work and life with you. Until then, I hope you all have a nice break over the next few weeks. And I'll see you here again soon.